You are listening to the Mick and Mac GAA Football Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Mick and Max GA Football Podcast. We're back again with another interview today. I'm delighted to say Ross Trainer is here with me. Ross, how are you getting on? I'm good, Mick. How's the form? Good, good. Just um, we're recording this on a Monday now after the bank holiday weekend. How's your head? I'm very well behaved, Mick. Very well behaved. <laughs> good how about yourself? Yeah, I'm well behaved as well. Well behaved, I have to say. <laughs> mm. And uh, Mr. Gary Sice is with us today. Gary, how are you? Thanks for coming Hello. on. All right, how are you doing, boys? How's things? All good. How's the body? Not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. Recovering nicely today. Yeah, so we're obviously we're we're recording this after the Monday. Galway Championship started yesterday in Carrickfin and had a good win. So, uh, use our motor and all right? Yeah, we seem to be back in action, but um, we've a bit of work to do yet. But uh, it was good to get back and, and good to get back to the championship. Yeah, yeah. And I was reading that Dar- Dara Silk was, he had a great game yesterday. He was actually talking afterwards. You saying the panel now just keeps adding to it. There's a three or four lads coming on um, every year. Would uh, you go along with that? And I suppose is that uh, adding to the competition in the places? The competition is there, yeah. We, we've definitely had a few young lads come into it. Um, Dara himself has been around the place now for two or three years with us, and I think he's starting to come of age. Um, he's played very well yesterday, and uh, we'll be hoping for more of that from him. Um, and we've got one or two more young lads around that have only had to come in now as well maybe turning 18, 19, 20, so they'll be a big addition to the panel, which is the, the key to the whole thing. You need you need fresh faces, you need um, you need guys bringing a, a new intensity, a new energy to it all the time. Yeah. And what's the team's approach being to training uh, since it's got back after the lockdown? Uh, well, we've kind of we've kind of stuck to our, our principles. We stuck with uh, Mike Comer's looking after us there. He's velocity, fitness, and tune there. He's he's been with us for a long, long time. He's a past player, Curfin as well. He's been looking after us very, very well. So he he's set out uh, the the stall around what we've been doing intensity wise and that, and we've been um, slowly ramping her up as we've gone along. So trying to avoid those uh, big injuries with hamstrings and stuff. And I've heard this week a lot of Achilles injuries happen around the place as well. So we've been looked after very, very well that way. So um, I won't say we're cautious, but we're doing things uh, at a right pace, you know. Yeah. And your, yourself, your approach, I suppose, after before the lockdown, were you, were you taking time off or you keep tipping away? No, actually, I looked at it as a period of time where I could actually make improvements. Um, I won't say I wasn't thrilled with myself last year. Fitness-wise, I was actually in pretty good shape. But um, when you get to the other side of the, the age bracket, it's a, it's a choice you make. You either slack off and just let it slowly peter out or... Even opportunity to make ground on the younger lads, so I took it as an opportunity. So I went off and spoke to Mike um, around where I needed to do, look at the things, and he set a program in place for me. So I was very fortunate. I've got plenty of green green fields around me, and um, I maximised my time at home while I was at home. And uh, to be honest with you, I won't say I loved training on my own, but I enjoyed uh, enjoyed the different scenario, and I, I enjoyed um, I suppose different types of training as well. So uh, it worked out alright for me. Time will tell. In the next couple of weeks. Um, whether I can put it on the field or not, but I definitely feel better and um, I, I enjoy the time over the break, to answer you. That's interesting. What sort of training would you have been doing on your own? You're saying kind of different types of training? I did a lot of mobility work. Um, as I said, I'm getting to the other end of the spectrum now age-wise and um, mobility a little bit, um, a little bit of speed work, a little bit of strength work. So I didn't focus more, anything big or anything major time on one specific thing, just worked on a lot of little things to, to try and uh, improve as we go along. Hmm. And th- tell us about Carfin as a club itself, the structures, people involved. It's probably a question you've been asked a lot of times before. Uh, and it might, might, might sound vague saying this, but like, what is the ingredients that makes Carfin so successful as a club that you are? 
I don't know. I suppose um, our success in the last 30 years has been based on our underage. Uh, Frank Morris was the man who started all that around the, the, the late 80s there. He, he started, the, went back to the basics really, went back to the kick in the kitchen and, and all the basic skills. And that fed through then and all the coaches that have come after him have kind of followed the same template. Um, I think if you went down watching under 12s and then you went up to watch a senior session, you'd probably see a lot of the same skills being practiced and a lot of the same vocabulary and probably the same style of football, which is which is very good for guys who want to make improvements and want to get through the ranks. Um, as Dara mentioned yesterday, I think he said that he found it very easy to settle into the way of football with the seniors. He didn't find it daunting or find it very difficult because he's been doing it all his life anyway. So it's just done at a different pace and probably the physicality is the side that you want to get them into then when they get to the senior ranks. But that's pretty much where we're at. We try and do the basics well. Um, you're catching, you're kicking and you're passing and, and movement. Um, it's not rocket science, but it, it is, uh, it's been the basis for our success over the last couple of years anyway. Is there too much of an emphasis at your underage level on success, do you think, in certain clubs? You can say that, but then there's clubs that will tell you that they, they've had a, a great success for five or six years as a senior team because this under 40, under 60 and minor team came through, that one bunch of lads came through and stuck together and done really well. Now, define success, that's the next thing. What is success? So for your under 12 manager, is success winning the county championship or a success retaining all your players and having them from 13? See, it depends on what you're looking for. Um, I think now for the majority of clubs that are starting to do really well, they look at retention and they say, your best under 12 might not even be playing at 18. So what's the point of winning under 12s? Like, what do you want? Do you need to retain your players and get them along the ranks and get them developed? Or do you want to be winning an odd title here and there that will be forgotten in the year's time? I, for me anyways, I know that retention is the key. Uh, we've had a few late bloomers. We've had a few guys who have come through the ranks not being earmarked for anything major as they went along, but they stuck at it. Next thing, they landed at minor and 20s and physically they excelled. And all of a sudden, all those basic skills that they've been taught came to the fore and they were actually exceptional senior players. Um, so for me, I think you're looking at retention and, and giving the boys a chance to, to get to 18, 19 and see what they have then. Um, the success thing at underage, it's been overrated, I think, to be honest with you. And I think it's gone to a stage now as well where I'm not sure the kids are, are really interested in the success anymore. I think the parents and, and some coaches are, are far more interested in that, which is disappointing really to see. I think it's across a lot of things, not just uh, the GA word. And you're talking yeah. about there, and would you say that there's um, obviously there is seems to be a good platform for players to progress through. You got I think there's a team in junior, intermediate, senior. Would you find players actually might come through the whole three ranks up into the senior panel over year over the years? You're saying about late bloomers. And- I did myself actually. I, I played all the, all the grades. I played junior, uh, intermediate, and senior. Um, I think we've only had a few that have broke the mould. Uh, like Ronan Steele went straight into a senior team at 18. Uh, just a gap opened up to suit him and he went in and obviously did really well. Um, Liam Sink is the only other one I can think of maybe that might have jumped the gun and just got straight into a senior. But again, you're looking at exception. You're not talking about the ordinary there. So the rest of the lads would have had their stint in intermediate. Um, and it's a great learning ground, a great place. You're probably meeting a seasoned senior player who's dropped back for a year. And then you're meeting a guy who's probably been around the block for a while. And you're also meeting other teams, first teams. And it's a great learning ground, a great place for guys to pick up. Uh, the physicality that not not necessarily a top pace, but you're going to get the opportunity to learn a bit. And it's great for us to see their temperament as well and see if they can deal with it or not. Um, so it's definitely been a big aid to a lot of our a lot of our seasoned senior players have done their time at uh, junior and senior and our junior and intermediate. And it's been a great uh, breeding ground for a lot of our players. And I think it's um, probably a good route to take uh, if that opportunity is there for you. Um, but as I said, we've had a few exceptions, but um, a great opportunity for guys I think to, to go down that way. It must be great for you seeing all these young lads coming through. I must drive you along to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it is, yeah. Sometimes it's not. It's got to the stage now where I've got, um, I teach in a local primary school, so there's probably 
Definitely three of them. Uh, we had one yesterday make a debut. Matthew Cooley came on yesterday. I think uh, we have a local competition here called the Raftery Cup. It's among all the primary schools. I think the last time we won the Raftery Cup was six or seven, six years ago. Yes, Matthew's captain. <laughs> so that kind of go, oh, Jesus, I'm going to go. And Dylan Canny is another one as well. I had Dylan the first year I started teaching primary school about 12 years ago. Dylan was actually on that team with me as well. So um, those guys are now fucking ahead of me of training and they're they're literally coming on for me so that's becoming a bit worrying and starting to uh, starting to question a few bits and pieces but at the same time as as i mentioned th- th- these guys are bringing a lot of energy they're bringing a lot of um a lot of hunger to the situation and they're mad for information and they're mad to get games and they're, they're bringing a pace to training that um that's different and it's great so it's, it's the key key to the whole panel is these guys come through and they're they're mad to get a hold of our jerseys they have no interest in what we've done they want to stand on us and get top of us and that's going to be a huge, uh, a, a huge help for us older fellas to keep us moving and keep us working. So these lads call you Mr. Sice or Gary? What can they call you? <laughs> uh, it's funny. It's it's a, it's a funny one. For a while, they might have arrived. It's a it's a tentative relationship there. But uh, once they kind of leave the primary school, it gets to Gary. Even some of them coming in into the primary school, if someone are looking at you going, "I've seen you at the field, but I don't know why you're here," and they don't get to keep inside at all. But uh, I, I, it's good. It's a, it's a good relationship to have with them, I suppose. I'm gonna bring you back, Gary. Um, so you you went to St. Charles, am I right in saying? Yeah. Yeah, that's like I mean that's well known for all the footballing success there. Uh, will football be like number one priority? That's cool. That, that was Mecca. It was Mecca when I was there. It was the place to be, the place to go. It had Brad, Park Joyce, Dickie Meehan, Michael Donlin. Um, it was just it was just phenomenal. You go to the school games there, and they'd bring five busloads of supporters and the singing and chanting. It was. It was lunacy, really. It was mad stuff. And um, I went to a very prim- very small primary school and probably was the only one in the school playing football and the rest was hurling. So uh, when I went into Jarlitz, I thought I was doing okay until I landed out for the first evening of training and there was 110 boys lined up looking for, for game time. And that was my first encounter with Michael Meehan as well. And I got a rude awakening to what the real world was like. Um, but it was a huge education for me in there. Everything from uh, diet, physicality, skills, Everything was there, and and we uh, we were very successful as well. We had a very successful group together, but uh, it was some breeding ground for footballers. And um, there was no there was no uh, how would I describe it? It wasn't fancy. You were up to your up to your ankles in in SH one T because we played all our games between September and, and January, and um, it was catch and kick and fight for your ball, and that was it. And it was a huge ground for us all, but um, a superb place to play and superb place to learn, and met some fantastic footballers along the way as well as well. Even, you just mentioned there, diet. So going into the first year in school, they were already anti about nutrition and all that sort of things. No, it wasn't anything to do with the school. I actually came across people in there, um, other students. Clive Monaghan was the guy who took me under his wing. So Clive was a, was a second year, third year at the time. And he was someone that I just latched onto and spotted. And I saw, geez, this lad is taking the 150s to pieces here. He's a machine. He is just loving it. So I went and I got chatting to him one day. A nicer fellow you won't meet. He ended up teaching in Jarrett's actually up until last year. And, he more or less just said to me, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this at night time. And it was like, it was like, um, it was brand new information to me. I'd never heard of it before. And I was small. I wasn't particularly fast and I needed to, needed to get to work and I was getting knocked around a good bit. So I just needed to learn quickly. And uh, he, he put his hand around me and, and looked after me for a year or two. And it was a huge change and a huge help. So I was very fortunate to, to get in there and, the old saying is, you are what you're surrounded by. So I was very fortunate to get in there. Da- Damien Comer was another one. And um, Mike, uh, Damien Burke and Mike Comer were another one. There were two guys that I came across. They were older than me by a year or two, but they were in the club. And only for, I got into that group and got around those guys, I, I probably wouldn't have half as much knowledge as I ended up with leaving, leaving uh, secondary school. 
You mentioned Michael Meehan there, Gary. Tell us about yeah. Michael Meehan. I mean, what an absolute baller. <laughs> oh, he was a senior footballer in, in second year. He was just ploughing over lads and, and 10 <laughs> points, 12 points. And the first week without first year training, it was just like, who dropped a senior footballer into first year training? It was just frightening. It was just literally frightening. And he he's just a machine. We got we won a Hogan Cup in 2002. And he was just, um, he was unplayable, like really. He really was unplayable. He was so big, so strong, so fast, so intelligent, so skillful. Just a machine. And um, his attention to detail and everything all the way through his career was just, he was a machine. I was very fortunate to be in the same group as him, really. Yeah. It's just a pity injuries with him. Like he could have been... I have a huge regard for Michael Meehan, but as regards the injuries, it just seemed to just just peg him back every so often. You know what I mean? It was just yeah, so frustrating. He, um, he hurt his knee in a league game against Kerry, and uh, it was it was a high ball went in over the top, and he tried to read it, and he turned on his knee and he twisted it, and then the ankle came shortly afterwards on the same side, and it was just so frustrating because he was do- he was the epitome of professional. He was doing everything right, every single thing, and he was a game changer. Like 2008, I think it was he played Kerry in, in Dublin. He just destroyed Mark O'Shea. He got ten points off. Etum, absolutely etum. And like he in another era or four years after, four years earlier, Mikey was probably getting all stars left, right, and centre. It just didn't fall for him. But like as far as as far as going football goes, he's going to go down as one of the best it has been. He, he was just um, a machine, an absolute machine in every way. Like even his CVs, Hogan Cups, he has all Ireland clubs, he has Sigerson's, two of them, I think. Um Aussie, he's everything done, just hasn't got that all star or not Ireland, but um oh, a machine, an absolute machine. Tell us about the Hogan, Tup, Hogan Cup team in 2002. Was there many years that went on to play for Galway? Uh, an awful lot, actually. I think um, I think 13 out of the 15 that started that ended up playing this county football. We had uh, James Cavanaugh was from Kildare as well. Um, yeah, John Devan played senior. Mikey Meehan, uh, Niall Coleman, Damien Dunleavy, myself, Alan Burke, um, Darren Malahi. Uh, the goalkeeper, Donald Dowd, Paul Doherty, all them guys ended up playing in the county at some stage. Uh, at senior level, Gerard Hearn from Roscommon, he won an Ireland Club Bridges as well. Um, I'm trying to think who else on the panel there. There was a few young lads as well. Like they all, all, all ended up playing in the county, so we had an exceptional team. And the boarding was still going on at that stage in Jarrett's as well, so that gave you that chance to pick up that extra one or two that were going to be the difference. Uh, David Ward was another one. He was an absolutely fa- fabulous footballer playing with uh, Derek Savage's club in Cartoon. He played in the county with Galway as well. So all of the names were there, and it's just a case of putting them all together, and um, and they were they were good when, when they were together. We played Declan Sullivan's uh, school in the semi final. It ended up going to a replay, but uh, they were they were fantastic as well. But it was a super medal to get in the in in, in the box. There must have been some crack after that. Would yeah, <laughs> good for young lads, yeah. But uh, we were kept very grounded. Jarrett's was brilliant. Uh, we had a guy called Father Oliver Hughes over it, and. Um, we came home after the final and, and the, the ritual was in Jarrett's room back and there was a mass uh, in school and uh, parents were invited back in and it all kept it very calm. Obviously, we went loose after, but it just was, um, there was such a, a sense of ceremony about it and such a sense of um, a, a rite of passage and you knew you'd do something special when you'd gone back to the school and that was the way you were received. Um, there was no lunacy. It was all very calm and controlled, but it was, it was fantastic. And as I said, it was some education to get uh, going forward. Obviously, going to a school like that, would there have been pressure to win like the Cups and all the matches? Not necessarily. The two teams that had gone before me had, a, had a, an absolute scatter of... I, I ended up playing three Hogan Cup finals. The two teams that went before me had a scatter of, of footballers that I had rated hugely. And we got to... We got to... Um, we got beaten. We got beaten, beaten the first one. I won the middle one and, and lost the third one. And um, there wasn't a pressure at all. It was an expectation. And that's, I know there are two words that are similar, but they're not the same. Um, we hadn't lost a game 
the whole way through Jarrett's and the team before me hadn't lost. We were just in a very good vein of form and we were picking up all the big footballers around the place. Everyone that wanted to play ball was there. There was no one you could say, Jesus, a pity he come across and play with us. Like, but we had everyone. So, and that then we were getting really good coaching. Um, it was just you went out and there was an expectation of how to play in a standard and that meant then you're going to get success, which was which was what we got. We were very fortunate to be there at the time with Brother Oliver. Um, he was the key to the whole thing. Moving on to Galway, uh, Gary, it's, I think it's 10 years you had with them, two kind of titles. Do you think as a squad, maybe your time with them, did you underachieve as a county or was it just a bit of a transitional period? Obviously, Mayo were probably at, at, their, at their peak at that stage as well. There's a lot of things in it. We had a lot of changes. Um, I don't know how many managers I went through, six or seven, maybe eight in the 10 years. Um, we had footballers, but there was some transition between some older players dropping off. There was under-21s there in the middle of it. We won two under-21s, I think, in two or three years, and they just didn't come through at full flight for whatever reason. Uh, the change of managers definitely didn't help. And then you had... Uh, there's no excuses. We ran into a serious meal team. And I mean a serious meal team. They were, they were operating at a different level to us completely in everything they did. And um, their expectation wasn't winning Connacht. They were looking at All-Ireland all the time. And when you come against teams preparing like that, then you're, you need to be preparing in a similar matter. And we weren't. Um, we thought we were thought we were doing the work we probably were competing fairly okay in Division 1 for a while but then just dropped off and we didn't uh, just didn't uh, didn't capitalise on the talent we had at all um, that kind of swung around then when Kevin Walsh came again he, he was very pragmatic and looked at what he had in front of him and said right this is how we're going to do things and we came back to being competitive and um, that gave a great launch pad for where we are now and I think this is only going to get better from, from now on I think the wheel has turned on Mayo and I think oh, we're going to stamp their authority all over now for a little while yeah you mentioned Kevin Walsh there. I mean, people, I know, even some people might say that Kevin Walsh had the reins on the team maybe too much. Would that be something you agree with? Obviously, looking at such the talented players that you had, or did he was it just important to make you competitive again? He had a tough brief. Um, he had got a few trimmings before he came in, and um, I suppose you had a panel that were. I won't say disjointed, but it was just a little bit unsure of itself. I needed a needed a structure, I needed some help, and Kevin had authority and he knew what to do. And he was dealing with our next goal with great as well, so he had a big presence in the in, in the room. Um, he was very pragmatic, and I think what he did was 100% right. And having been in there for three or four years with him, I think he was 100% right on what he did. Um, as I said, if you look back over his stats and his winning uh, percentages are pretty good. Um, league finals, Connor finals, All-Ireland semi-final. He's done okay, um, and I think he's left a great, uh, great platform for Boric you now to kick on with. And I think that's that's uh, before the, the break there, you could see things were um, were opening up. And I know people talked about all these individual talents he had, but it's not individual talents that win in Ireland. And uh, you have to be you have to be honest with it and say, right, the two or three superstar players that people had perceptions of being there, they were never going to win in Ireland for you. They were going to give you a flashy day here and there, but that weren't that wasn't enough. They needed a team around them and. That's what Kevin was building, and now Park is developing that further, and it's going to be exciting times uh, going forward. How good could this Galway team be, Gary? Um, time will tell. I think they need to they need to get some big games under the belt. I think if they get one or two big games under the belt, the confidence is only going to grow. Um, I know the way Park is playing, the style he's playing, it's going to be very exciting to watch. Very, very exciting to watch. Um, that will come with its own its own troubles, I'm sure, along the way. There will be some kinks in there. It's not going to be very very straightforward, but first three games are to go by it's going to be great stuff to see altogether I'm, I'm very excited about it and uh, they're going to be hard to, hard to deal with because they're going to come at you from everywhere and that's going to be um, that's going to be exciting as I said I really am looking forward to it Do you think Kevin I know he sort of left under a bit of a he always seemed to be defending himself and like you just said he he saw what he had in front of him do you think the Galway public were maybe expecting as, as, like, so from an outside of the county person you'd always see Galway as having these magnificent footballers can play off both feet very stylish um, 
the two All Irelands that like the ninety eight, two thousand and one team, that team, phenomenal, and they could mix it any way you wanted. They had the brute power, they had the style, the whole lot. Do you think there was just the pressure or the the opinion of certain? I'm talking about within Galway here now. It was was all skewed. Like, did they think it was it was just going to fall back into that? It just seemed to be Kevin to defend himself the whole time. I, I I suppose it's perception. I I think um, as I said, I, I agreed fully with what he was doing, and I was in there. I was in the middle of it. I was there with him, um, and as I said, he was pragmatic. He looked at what happened on two or three years before that, and he looked at the way we were performing and the way we were dealing with big days. We weren't doing it, and the the, the landscape of intercounty football has changed. And what the Galway supporter wants and what the actual world is is different. So yes, we all want that free flow '98 style football, but that doesn't exist anymore. You have to be realistic. You go to a top-level club, club game anymore. Nine times out of ten, it doesn't exist. Um, teams are too well-coached now. Uh, people know too much about how to control the game. And that's not going to happen too often. Um, so I think I think the perception out there might be that he was defending himself. But I don't think he had anything to defend himself for. He did a good job. did a fantastic job. And it's a tough, tough role. Especially in Galway, it's a tough, tough role. People are, are very high expectations of what they want and what they need. And I think he, 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 did, a, he did a good job of what he was doing. Um, and as I said... What was and what is going football are, are different, and it's going to change again. I think we're going back to a style of football now in the intercounty scene where it's score as much as you can and hopefully win the game rather than let's not get beat. And a lot of teams are going down that route, which makes it great for the spectator. And I think we'd seen a lot of that in the league before the break, which was fantastic to see. When you reflect back, Gary, over your, um, I suppose your county career, what were some of the best battles you have and best games you're involved in? Final replay, you got 1-2 against his common. Must be one of your prouder moments. Yeah, yeah. Totally enjoyed that one. And it was down in Casa to a uh, good hunting ground for us. Um, <laughs> really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, I think beating Mayo after after the five five years or six years of beating us and um, in Casa as well and a wet evening was was a landmark. And I know there was no medal attached to it, but it was a, it was a really, really sweet one. And I set up that kind of final with Ross Common. Um, I think the Kerry game in, in Crow Park, even though we lost by a point or two in 2008, that was a real cracker of a game. Right. Yeah, it was beautiful. Sun shining first half, came out in the second half and the lights were on. I was going, what's going on here? And next thing it just poured <laughs> down. But it was, a, it was a cracker of a game. It was really, really enjoyable. Uh, I think my first kind of final in 2008 as well was one's going to stick out as well. But um, look, a lot of good days were going. I know we had a few low ones as well where just we weren't at the races and for whatever reason. But I, I entirely enjoyed my time and the education and the people I met was just fantastic. Um, I, I wouldn't change, really, I know everyone says it, but I actually wouldn't change much of it because it, it, I am what I am now because of it. So I, I wouldn't change anything to do with it. I had a really good time in there. Were there ever any other sports, Gary? Was it always Gaelic football or was there soccer or rugby or tennis um, or whatever? Where I live, where I live, uh, I'm on one side of the parish, Curfin, it's actually a hurling club called Cylon. And from my front window, you can see the hurling field. Um, so that's where I would have spent nine days out of ten, I'd say, poking the ball back and over. I just wasn't that. I just... For some reason, the football was calling. My uncle played with, with Curry Finn in 1998, and uh, that's, that was my head turned. I was in, in a primary school full of hurlers looking at Curry Finn, and I suppose that, that really brought me on. My dad did as well, huge football man, played a bit of hurling, but he, he, football was his first love, so he brought me up to training, and once I got the hold of it, I couldn't get out. The coaching was so good. Played hurling up until I was probably 18. Um, the Cylon were a junior club at the time, and I didn't, didn't see didn't see where they were going and I didn't know where I wanted to go otherwise I saw a launching pad and as that, that stage I like four or five years done in Jarrett so the football was never going to change um, it was a period as well where the dual player or any other sport wasn't going to help you if you wanted to make it into county you had to kind of really focus down on what you were doing so would have tried my hand at soccer for a game or two two red cards finished that career very quick so 
did uh, didn't sit well with me. Um, <laughs> that hurling game, I was left definitely would, yeah. And I'd say I'd probably at this stage I'd probably go and watch a hurling game, a really good hurling game before a football match. To be quite honest with you. Ellis, Gary, what, what did you do with those red cards? <laughs> there were two red cards, I can tell you. Two, two, <laughs> two, the two bad red cards. One of them was a potential career ender. The other one was a terrible touch, and I knew I was falling through, so I went straight through them. But, uh, wouldn't apologise to either of them. Met them. Definitely wouldn't apologise for them. No way. <laughs> Dead right. Uh, yeah. Just something actually interesting to ask you was, you know, Cardiff being probably going down as one of the best club teams around. But there doesn't seem to be that many people, many of those lads going into the county panel. Um, why is that? Is that a choice for the lads in the club club setup, or is it just not getting picked by the managers? Uh, I've had this question a few times. Now. I've I've gone down the same route every time. It's two different levels. So playing really well with your club and it gives you the opportunity to go and play a county. But when you get into an inter-county setup, then you are now dealing with all the best players in the county. Uh, you're not just the best player in your club. And that can, that can feed into a lot of things. Lads can step up to that challenge and drive on, or they could hit a plateau and find that uh, increased competition scenario difficult. I won't say our lads did any of those things, but when they went in there, some of them just thought that I'm not going to get the same attention or I'm not going to play as often as I would like here and said to themselves, we're actually going very well in the club, stepped out. Or the system they went into mightn't have suited them. The way they were playing with the club, they might have been expected to play a whole different role when they went into the inter-county and didn't work. So it's two different levels. Um, on any given time, lads say this to me all the time, why won't your lads go in? On any given time, we've had five or six or seven players in the inter-county team for the last 10 years. Um, we've had two or three play. You're never going to get five or six at any, in any county. You're not going to get five or six from one club on any county team. Let's be realistic about it. I don't think there's any county team from Leitrim to Dublin that has six or seven from one club starting. So I don't know why we'd be any different. Um, Galway has a, has a hat full of footballers a lot of them an awful lot of good footballers coming through so if you think about even competition for number five you could pick six lads they're all going to do a good job we might have three of them but there's three more from other clubs that are just doing, doing just as well so it's not a stage not a case there's no one in Curfin that doesn't want to play for Galway it's just a case of that's a, that's a big pool of players to pick from and the manager has a job to do and pick them if our lad is going really well he most likely will play but he has five or six more going against them for that one position and that's the reality of it um, I think, again, it's a perception. It's probably a, a lazy journalistic line that came out of somewhere and it's just been, it's been used a little bit now at this stage. But uh, that's, that's where we're on it. We, lads, our lads want to play for Galway. And as I said, that, that's a different level. When you step up there, then you've got to go to a whole new, whole new level if you want to play inter-county. The structure, obviously, this year for inter-county is, is, is very different, obviously, given the circumstances that we're in. But it's obviously straight knockout and it's pretty much old school. Is that something... I know you're not there anymore, but you're going to look forward to and enjoy, or did, did the prospect of having a second chance uh, appeal to you as well, or have you any preference? I think over the longer summer, obviously, you needed a second, the second chance just to, 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 lead, to lead yourself into it and get going, and I think it changed the way lads, the, the, the build-up was huge as well, the amount of training lads were doing to get into that. I think the exciting thing now, first of all, from, from a Galway point of view, is lads are going to pick on form, so I think coming out of the club championship, lads are going to have to come out of that club championship with fire coming out of their boots because if they want to play for Borough, they're going to have to be informed. The second thing about it is I'm very disappointed they didn't go for an open championship. I think it would have been absolutely superb to see Dublin having to go to Kerry or see Dublin coming to Pear Stadium in a knockout situation, one game, I think it would have been superb. Um, I, would have, I would have loved to see even Kerry going to Kildare or Kerry having to go to Tyrone. Oma, imagine, imagine, the, imagine the, the build-up and the crack of it. Like It would have been absolutely superb. 
um, playing Cork in Porky Rin or something like that, or even down in, in Porky Cueve. Now, can you imagine? Like, it was a, it was, a, it was an example, an opportunity to to really show what the championship could be and bring the the madness that was there 20 years ago to all these small smaller venues in Cork Park. They're not small venues anymore. That was an opportunity lost. But at the same time, I'm I'm kind of fraught at the mouth really the idea of knockout. Like, it's going to bring a whole different uh, kettle of fish to it. The KG games that were there, I think you're going to have to go for it now. I don't think you can start your blanket defence anymore. I think his teams are going to go for it. They're going to um, going to do well, and and I think uh, from a Galway supporter point of view, we're in a great place for that. I don't think. Yeah, could, to... couldn't agree more. I I I completely agree with you. I think they should have gone for just to throw the thirty-two names into a hat or thirty-one, obviously without Kenny, and just pick them out and away you go. Oh yeah. But I do think without having crowds there, or the possibility of not having full houses there, or crowds there, or whatever that might look like in a couple of months' time could take away from the, the home advantage as such, you know what I mean? So I can see where the GA are coming from, that they might want too many people, you know, moving about the whole time. But at the same time, I'm very much looking for, I think they, I think they missed a trick without, without, without uh, going full, full, uh, full draw, open it up, see what happens. I think so. And I think development-wise as well, say take Leinster as an example. Leinster's a disaster at the moment. Like Dublin have such a stranglehold on it. By letting them teams go out of Leinster and actually go away and play the Derrys, the Galways, the Mayos, there could have been a development period there for Westmead for, for any of the teams. If they got out, they could get four or five games in a run with the open draw. It could have. Whereas now they actually can they can look at their championship early on and say, lads can opt in or out of the panel because they know what the run is going to be. If they get a bad draw and they know they're on this side or that side. Like it's not, There's no development there. It's a pity. It's very hard on, them, on the managers involved. Um, I do think also if, the, if we don't have the crowds involved, it's going to be very, very strange. Even yesterday in our own game, it was a different um, different mindset because you're going into you're going to stand talking out. I don't know what the intercounty teams are going to do in October if things have changed or if they've not. But if you've got a scenario like that going on, if you've got a different setup to what teams are used to doing, that does affect things. It affects everything. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see. Um, interesting, strange, but I do think they missed a trick in, in not having the open draw. But at the same time, I'm, I'm excited for the knockout. For definitely excited for it. Would you do away the provincial uh, championships full time? Uh, it depends on what your it depends on what your outlook is. If you're looking to develop the game and you're looking for um, if you're looking just purely on getting the game to a place where it's the number one sport in the country, then yeah, I get rid of it. Um, but at the moment, I don't think that's the that's the prerogative in the GA. I think they're looking for sustainable uh, income and they're looking for a model that just keeps a certain amount of high level games in there. Even the super eights, like they, they didn't work. Let's be honest about it; they just didn't work. So. I think the two-tier competition, as much as people don't like it, I think that's a great idea. I think it's going to give teams a chance to develop and it's going to give teams, um, they need to earn it to go and play Division 1. They need to earn it to go and play against top teams and I think that's going to make them pair better and actually want to put more um, more funding in place. But I think maybe the New Zealand model of rugby is the way to look at it. I think that could be a fantastic thing where they pool everything and they pool the resources and everyone gets the same amount of money to start with. Everyone gets the same amount of resources. Everyone gets the same amount of knowledge and then let's see where it goes. It's never going to happen, but it would be a fantastic idea to think that at the end of the year, Dublin have to hand in their, their plans they worked on for a year to everyone else. Go, we have to hand in their plans and everyone gets everyone else's plans. Let's just lay out the table. Let's see who's best now. Let's see who can make the most of these resources. So it'd be very interesting to see what would happen. Um, it won't happen, but it would be, be a great, uh, great little project if someone wanted to do it for one or two years, just to see if everyone had the same resources in front of them, everyone the same knowledge. Could, could X manager make that team better? or worse, based on what he has in front of him. It would be very interesting. That would be very interesting. That would also lead to, if you're going around the New Zealand rugby model, that a lot of their players move in between teams, uh, obviously in support of the, the national team, and that's how they, they would operate, just to give the top players all the game time 
uh, as much as they could. What would you see for, we had Shane Curran on recently enough talking about a draft system. Um, would you see like to see players move between counties if, let's say, they're not able or they're not getting uh, the strides they wanted to make in a certain county? Could they move to a different county? Would that be something you'd like to see? I suppose it's already happening in the GA, in the hurling world. You've seen quite a lot, an awful lot of herders move from bigger counties to so-called lesser counties as a development thing. Not by the GA's doing, but the opportunity was there for them. Quite a few lads have moved to Kildare, they've moved to Roscommon, they've moved to Mayo, they've moved to wherever you have, they've done that. And whether it's made that hurling county stronger or not, I don't know. Um, I, don't think I, I don't think I could see it happening between the bigger counties. I'd hate to think that someone in Galway would transfer over to Mayo. That, would not, that, would, that, that just wouldn't work for me. No, that, just, that, that would be the ultimate blasphemy altogether. I don't think draft system would be an option. No, I don't think so. But I do think that um, if we're going to get a situation where we have more than four teams competing for Northern Ireland, then we're going to have to start figuring out some way of getting resources and, and education back into, back into it. I think we nearly have to go down to the grassroots and start educating the coaches better. I think um, we're missing a trick there. I think at the moment we're, we're in between somewhere. Some clubs have figured it out. Some clubs have figured out that you need to know what you don't know before you can start learning stuff. And then some people are just stagnant. They haven't moved from the 1990s. They're not going to. And I think that's affecting development of inter-counties. Then. then the other question is, should we be developing our game for just the inter-county? With 98% of our playing population is club. So why are we why are we focusing on that 2%? Why are we building the whole model around 32 teams when we've got 2,000 and something club teams? What, what are we looking at here? Are we are we missing a trick? Possibly we are. In my head, having gone through the whole cycle at this stage now and seeing what happened over the pandemic, the club is the most important thing in the country. And um, they're the largest body of players, but they're not getting any acknowledgement, which is very disappointing. And I think we'd have to have to admit to that one, no matter what you say, the, the club player is still the most important player in the GA. Whether he's getting recognition on this beyond me. If you had, you know, the keys to the castle, I suppose, and you could just do a couple of simple things for the club game, what would they be in your mind? I suppose promotion is a big thing. Um, like even now, there's a huge opportunity for the GA to really go out there and promote these games, and they haven't. They really haven't. They haven't pushed them. Um, they're nearly looking at them as a guinea pig to see what's going to happen, so they don't make the same mistakes within the county game. They're figuring out. They're they're just literally putting it out there and see. Right, let's see what happens, and we can we can adjust as we go along. Um, I think there's an opportunity as well for more education to back into clubs. They could have poured money back in. I said, right, we're going to try and get our, our standard of play up, or our standard of education up, and not just use the not just use them as a vessel to get players through to the inter-county. Let's make them a place where players can really, really develop, develop themselves and move themselves on, through, not just through sports, through everything else. The, the GA club is a hub in the community, but it could be better. It could be more streamlined. It could be better used. So maybe that way, that way of education would, would definitely be something I'd be looking at. And would that be more development games development officers by that way, or not necessarily? You look at the you look at the rugby, and uh, they they have the the GDOs and all that kind of stuff going on, but they do have a huge amount of education available for your club, and they, that that thing can be accessed quite easily from a rugby club's point of view. I think we could be looking at that a bit more. I think we need more coaches, uh, coaching coaches, if that makes sense. I know it's a bit of a, a tongue twister, but I think there's something that can be looked at in the GA, and I think we're probably generating enough money at this stage now to to look at some kind of a model like that. So. I know if you're looking at the spread of coaches throughout Dublin, and I know Dublin get hammered the whole time, but if you're looking at the the coach per capita and the coach per per club and everything, they all have they all have coach education on their doorstep. I don't think that's happening all over the country, and that's where probably where we're we're slipping up as a whole as a body. Um, definitely something we could look at more, do more, and I think it'd be a very interesting project if we could get it on the ground. But it's huge; it's an absolutely huge uh, and daunting task. But there should be a, a more generalised model of education for our coaches for sure, especially now that there's so much information out there. Yeah, 100% agree. But I think a lot of it does come down to the, not just the GAA, but the individual county boards as well. I know you were saying about uh, 
everyone sharing their blueprints, but Dublin for a long time didn't even get to a final and they, in the mid-noughties, decided what we're doing ain't working. And what they did is tore it all up, start again, development squads. And what they did is they inter-county players involved in every single, inter, at every level. And there's no reason why every other county can't do that. You know, that, that's oh, look, they, they are the model. They're the model, not, nothing to do with money. It's nothing to do with money. What they did and how they, they sat down and had a really good reflection on what they were doing and how badly they were doing it and what they could be doing. And now they've actually got, it, got a, their finger on the pulse. This is where they're going to be the most dangerous. Most dangerous. They realise what they have and they're using it. I'm not down enough for that at all. No one in the country can give out to them for it. They are doing it right. And as you said, there's no reason why other people can't do the same. Look at what you have at your disposal and use it to its maximum. Um, and, yeah. and that's, that's what they're doing. Um, and they're putting people in place that have uh, professional jobs. Their profession is, let's say, human resource, but then let them look after the coaches and let them coach the coaches. Let them, let them educate them on it. Another guy could be a school principal. Let them explain how to, how to get 30 young lads to sit down and listen to you for five minutes. They're using everything. They're using everything from the primary schools all the way up as far as the colleges, and they're using them really well. And it's, it's, it's so impressive to watch. And then you get to see them in Crow Park and you realize what you're dealing with. Like, it's just it's a massive machine. It's fantastic. It really is fantastic. It's a credit to them. Yeah, and it, that, that's, that is not difficult. It just takes one or two bodies at the top and just go, what's your strength? Right, you do this. What's your strength? Yeah, you do that. And I, I know people, um, you've highlighted as well, that some people do give out to Dublin better, but it's, that can be done at grassroots, local level. That can even be done within certain clubs that, you know, certain per, uh, ex-senior uh, footballers in the club can be done. Like, and it can just, it can mushroom from that. Like, so it's not... Change it's is difficult being, though. Change is difficult, Ross. In, in the GAA, it very, it very <laughs> much is. The oldest dinosaurs in the whole game, the GAA is not going to change to I know, one congress a year and that's about the height of it, that's all we get. Yeah, yeah. and you look at the age profile back congress and you can, you can fill in the blanks yourself from there then. Yeah, but you'd hope, you'd hope the way I feel in the last sort of 15, 20 years that the way technology has evolved, the way people are learning, the way the fact we're trying to learn from different sports, you've already referenced rugby, I've, I would often reference other sports, so we can learn from every other sport that's out there. And B, like it doesn't have to be a revolution, it's evolution, it's, it just has to be right people right time and the, the willingness to change which is the key point and you, you've said it there but if people don't want to change it'll never fucking happen like to be honest like so it needs to it needs to i don't know oh look it's an interesting topic it's a monster of a topic but i don't know i don't know if you and i are going to solve it this evening but it'll be uh it'll be an ongoing thing and it'll take us time but i, I just hope that it happens in, it happens in a, a manner that retains our amateur situation and it retains the club at the centre the whole lot of it because if that ha- if it happens that we go down the again I'm gonna reference rugby I, I, I don't know why it's going up so much even but if we if we went down the situation where we had semi pro or anything like that the the whole integrity of the whole thing is gone then. Um like the beauty of it is that we get to play club games and our intercounty players are out there. Like I seen yesterday Lee Keegan was marking Aiden O'Shea for an hour. That means mm. that would have been savage. Like imagine for a Mayo supporter to go down to the into kicking lumps of each other would be great. And even to get streamed or whatever. It would be fantastic. And I know there's those big games yesterday, Michael Daly and Damien Comer were going at it yesterday and June was great and killing each other the tunnel the whole lot. That's that's what the club is about. Um that tribalism, that horribleness, that that really raw stuff, that is what the GA is about. And the intercounty is a byproduct of that. It's not we're not we're not playing club games to satisfy the need for intercounty players. We're playing club games because of the tribal nature of it, because that's where the root of it is. So if we ever lose that, lose that, it's 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 a disaster. Really. Big opportunity at the moment for things to change, given the, the situation we're in. But yeah, the, finan- the financial model and all around it mightn't allow for it. Though. That's the problem. There's a lot of stuff in, invested in it between your sponsors and your thing. Crow Park is not easy to run, and our our whole system is now it's a monster. Really, it's it's huge. So I don't know. It's just that simple of of pulling plug on one thing and plugging into another. I think it's it's going to take a lot of time. 
Speaking about the club, Gary, and the importance of the club, <laughs> criticising the GA again. They missed a trick this year. Let the clubs go away, pay up the whole All Ireland Championship, uh, scrap the county for a year. Could that have been something they were thought of? You think, or just too much money in the, in the county scene? Yeah, I think you have to be pragmatic and say, look, they, they have a lot of sponsors to keep happy, and these sponsors are, are crucial to, to to everything that's going on. Um, and I suppose the argument would be then as well is the longer the club championship goes on, the less clubs you have involved actually. So at the moment, we probably have the most amount of games we're going to have, and it's going to dwindle off very quickly. Um, you get to your you get to your inter you get to your Connacht Championship, you're down to maybe 16 or 18 teams left in the whole country. The whole country that would not satisfy the model. It would not satisfy the hunger for the games. It wouldn't satisfy the gate receipts. It wouldn't satisfy anything. And I don't think, to be honest with you, the once I'd say even once the club has gone outside of the county, I don't think anyone really pays much heed after that. They're not too interested. So I can understand why they only killed it. At, at, I'm very disappointed in it, and, but they they did kill it at county um, with the hope to satisfy the inter-county season. But it's it's it'll be it'll be an amazing feat if they get this completed. If they get the club and county seasons completed, I think. Um, I don't know if we'll even get that far, but hopefully we will. It'll be great for the entertainment. I'm looking forward to it if, if we do get that far. Yeah, obviously the the cases are tend to rise over the last week. It, it looks like the season could be cut off before you can get the county. Yeah, you can imagine after this weekend now there'll be a big test. Uh, as in, it'll be a big test for for the the hundred cases. I, I'd be shocked if we don't get very very close to it. Um, people are. I wanted to run run muck, but they, they definitely have laxed, and it's been a different uh, atmosphere this weekend around around the place than has been before. People aren't being as careful as, as they were before, and I'm not sure what you're seeing where you are, but uh, it's definitely evident down around our side. Um, things are a little bit more relaxed, and um, we're we're just not in a position to do that yet. I don't think. No, I, I think everywhere, and I suppose the problem is everyone's just looking for something to do, and you know it's the natural enough. But I mean, have Galway got something in place? The county board is there streaming passes to watch the matches? Yeah, they're doing a great job. Um, geez, I think they had seven or eight games streamed this weekend, and they were really good games. And we were on TV yesterday, and it was. Hurling on Friday night, and they, they, I think they had, they're streaming the most games in the country actually, um, for the county. So between hurling and football, they're doing a fantastic job, and the quality of the stream is excellent as well. To be fair to know, they really have jumped on this and done a really, really good job. I suppose they've some very good venues as well to, to work out. Assume it's good to work out of uh, Atom Ryan, excellent to work out of Fair Stadium, excellent to work out of. So they've, they've got the venues, and to be fair to them, they are doing a, a super job with it now. So it's great, and it's giving the supporter just, just enough, just a taster uh, without actually being there. Um, as I said, it's very, very strange to be in a big stadium like Fair Stadium, which I think there was something like 35 extras between the two squads that our tickets used up yesterday. There's 35 extras, and um, they were heard. <laughs> the 35 were loud. I give it that. There's one owl out up there, and then he, he knew a lot of our names. <laughs> he was good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the, that side of it is frustrating. But at the same time, like it's frustrating. Oh, yesterday, I couldn't get my dad into the game yesterday, so that was frustrating. Um, but saying, and he, he, there was no way he was going to sit down on the laptop or watch it on, on stream. It wasn't going to happen. So he had to, had to go through the game in great detail with him um, yesterday. So that's that's the difference, I suppose. The people that are closest to the players might not necessarily get to watch the games, which is a frustration. And as the championship goes on, that's going to get more difficult if we don't get crowds in. So that's that's a, it's a drawback. But at the same time, I think six or eight weeks ago, if you told us we were going to be up playing championship football, we'd taken a hand off it. If it was just ourselves and referee, grand, let's go. Um, yeah, exactly. And like you said, if people are starting to get lax now, it's important that the GA hold tight and stay. Look, this is our numbers, and we'll we'll keep our own counsel here and let whatever else goes on outside our remit, you know, let it happen. I suppose. Yeah, and I have to compliment the the GS in in Fair Stadium. They were extremely stringent in what they were doing. They did a fantastic job. It was so well streamlined. They got 65, 70 people in the front gate of a shot. It was unbelievably well organised. They had four or five people there with the app. They had bang, 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 in and out. 
everything laid out perfectly. Water breaks were brilliant. Everything was just and out the door straight away after and ready for the next game. It was it was it was impressive to watch. Now, and um, it give you a good feeling about the games going forward that we can do this. We can definitely do it. It's just that everybody else has to do their job now as well and make sure we don't have a rise in cases. Last one for me, Gary. Uh, always ask it. Best player you played against and best player you played with over the last few years. Okay, best player I've played against. I was a defender for a lot of my life. That's the problem you see. So I have a different mentality on this altogether. Um, I suppose the coach, the coach is just. Uh, I, I had the pleasure and the misery of trying to mark him once or twice. Um, just, just sick. Couldn't do anything with him. It didn't matter. <laughs> just couldn't do anything. Like you, you cover one foot, he has the other. You hit him in the back of the head, he's going to catch it anyway. He just, he was a, he was an all rounder and a lot bigger and stronger than people gave him, gave him credit for. He had this uh, gentle lamb persona. He was Anthem Butt. Um, two sharp elbows and yeah, yeah, he 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 was a nasty individual to deal with at times. He, he just everything about him was the full full whack. Like and um, Mikey Meehan is up there. Paul Joyce is up there. Um, a string of club players that I've played that have made me better. Uh, Kieran Comer, Kieran Fitzgerald, all these guys are are, are up there. Um, I couldn't pick one guy. Michael Donlan maybe just and Paul Joyce obviously. Uh, there's just so many you could pick out there that are just at a, a different level. Um. I suppose I, I could work off the Galway, Galway thing. I'd have to say Mikey was the one I played the most with. I played an awful lot with him. He was just an exceptional talent. Um, Paul Joyce, Michael Dunn, and Nicky Joyce. Dicky Meehan, another absolute machine. And then at the club level, then I've been very fortunate to be surrounded with some brilliant forwards. Ian Burke, um, Michael Farrer, Ronan Steve. These guys are just leaps. These guys are all just um, fantastic footballers, and they've made me an awful lot better because of it. So I won't pick one of the best I've played with, but definitely the Gooch is the one that gave me the most nightmares. By fair. Some serious names there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not too bad. And against, or sorry, and for, did you say? So, me him before and Gooch against, is it? Yeah, I stick with Mikey. I, as I said, I could name maybe 10 or 12 guys that I've played with that have just been exceptional and they're all on, on a level or par. Like Mikey Donnan is not doing a decade, me and Park. They're all standout players. But again, I was probably looking at them as a fanboy more than a guy I was playing with them. I was looking at them going, wow. Um, so yeah, it's just fantastic footballers, and as I said, I, I was all the better for being around these guys. Gary, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. It was a great chat. Cheers. Oh, thanks. Really enjoyed that, guys, and I uh, hope it's a I hope it's a good evening for you. And Ross, we'll sort out that GA problem on the days. So give me a shout. <laughs> absolutely, Gary. The West awake. Yeah, no doubt. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks, Gary. Have a nice Cheers, evening. Gary. See you later, boys. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening in and don't forget that you can follow the Mick and Mac GAA football podcast on Instagram, Twitter and we are on Spotify as well as all other podcast platforms.